On page six there is the outline of the, today's talk. It's not actually as long as that. It goes through three pages, but um, yeah, it, it's not as long as that. Uh, but page six is uh, where you need to look at. And if you can have Visions chapter one open in front of you over this course of um, the next few days, we'll seek to uh, not only talk about the theme of Christ-centered community, but also uh, come to grips with uh, what the Apostle Paul is saying as he uh, goes through this book, uh, this letter that he wrote to uh, the church uh, in Ephesus. Will you join me as we ask God to help us to understand and apply his word? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you speak to us. We thank you you've re- revealed yourself to us in your word and in especially your Son, the Lord Jesus. Please, Father, help us to focus on him and what you have done in him that we might be those who understand the the big picture of where we fit in as individuals and as your church. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the legacy that you want to leave behind you? What difference do you want to make in the world, in the span of your life? How do you want to be remembered? Of course, uh, none of us will be as great as the great Lee Kuan Yew. I was amazed that the the, the whole of Singapore Singapore actually stopped uh, to mourn his death. He was uh, the great father of a nation. Of course, uh, we won't leave a legacy like that, but as his children, or at least you are his children, uh, you want to leave some legacy, and often it's the legacy of success, with a capital money symbol S. You, of course, have the five C's of card, career, condominium, car, and club. Uh, the Malaysians, of course, try to do you uh, out. Uh, the Malaysian girls apparently have their five B's of what they want to look for in a husband. Don't worry about the cash, and they want billions. Uh, don't worry about a car, they want a BMW. Don't worry about the condo, uh, they want a um, bungalow. And then what else do they want out of their men? Uh, they want someone with brains and also a body. You know, these women want everything, don't they? <laughs> there is the aim of, of all of us in our world, to have success like that, to be recognised to be the, uh, the ones who are the highest of our field, that people would look at us and show us respect. That's the legacy we want to leave. That's the legacy we want, perhaps not ourselves, but at least our husband to have. Or that's the legacy we want our children to have, or our grandchildren to have. Education. Success. Security. Amongst the Chinese, of course, it's captured in that, that photo of, of the 80th birthday of great-grandpa or great-grandma, where you're there with all the family. There is, you know, the, all the children and all the grandchildren and all the uncles and aunties, and there right in the middle is grandma, grandpa seated there in a nice restaurant all under the blessings of, well, the ancestors, under the blessings of maybe God, but that is, that's what people want. That is the picture of success. How do you get that blessing? Well, of course, it's got to do with hard work. I was just coming through the airport. I can't even remember where now. It must have been uh, in your airport. And there was these pictures of a person working hard in his career, I think it was an engineer, a couple of pictures, and the last picture is a young little girl studying hard for an exam, and it said, persistence, persistence, persistence. Keep trying hard. That's our route to success. Do the hours. Through the exams, important ones in year six, and JC, and poly, and uni, and and then you can make it happen. If you are 
non-Christian and Asian, then you hope that the ancestors would help you. And so they burn paper money and paper iPhones and paper all kinds of things they burn, uh, supposedly to help the ancestors up in that life. I've never got a call from one of them, actually. Um, but we want them to have a good life up there, but also we want something in return. We help them, they then help us, they bless us. And so in many restaurants you see the, um, the Chinese blessing sign, right? But it's actually turned upside down. And I ask my friends, well, why is that? Well, it's in order that the ancestors may pour their blessings down on us as we burn joysticks and food up to them. Well, Christians, of course, uh, we don't believe in the ancestors. We believe in God. We believe in Jesus. And we are hoping that Jesus will in turn bless us. Everything happens to the good of those who love God, doesn't it? And so we want God to give us the good. If only we have enough faith, then God will bless me. I want to suggest to you that such a view of the legacy we want to leave, such a view of success, such a view of blessing, such a view of God giving us blessing even, is myopic, anthropocentric, and proud. Myopic because you know what myopia is? It's short-sightedness. Now, I know every one of you out there who is wearing contact lenses. It's those who are not wearing glasses. Right? All of us as Asians are short-sighted, are myopic. We are those who are myopic, anthropocentric, that is we only think about humans in the centre of the universe. We are short-sighted, we think man is at the centre, and in the end there's a big touch of pride as well. Well, how? Why is that view of legacy myopic, anthropocentric, and proud? Well, let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, especially these first 14 verses. I want to point two now as we look at the big heading of being predestined for eternity. Paul uh, gives his usual greeting. And then in verse 3 comes the big heading for this section. He's the topic sentence. Verse 3. Blessed be, in other words, uh, thanks be to, a uh, praise be to, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. There's the idea of blessing. God blessing us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's about blessing. It's about God blessing us. It's about every blessing. Very much like what we've been talking about. But in some sense, very different as well. How's it different? Well, let's look at the particular blessings he lists. And then at the end of the talk, see how it's different from much of the success and blessings that we've started off with in this talk. The first blessing he comes to is that of predestination. Whenever churches, roof groups, uh, think about this word predestination, you either get very excited or you get very uh, dejected. Oh, not this again. We've been through it. Last time we went through it, we went for two hours and we didn't sort out anything. We've got more and more questions and more and more arguments and let's not talk about it. I'm sure you can be Christian without knowing about predestination. Well, friends, it's here in the Bible and so it's important. Not only is it here in the Bible, it's here as the first of the blessings that Paul lists. So verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blesses with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as, verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. There is predestination. God choosing us to be in Christ. God choosing us to become Christians. You say, oh, I, I thought 
I chose God. I thought I chose to become a Christian. I'll try a little experiment. Uh, Wei doesn't know this, but Wei, uh, when did you become a Christian? Very specific, July 12, 1994. That's when Wei chose God. It's true. We do choose God. We do choose. We do make a choice, a decision. Look again at verse 4. When did God choose Wei? Before the creation, before the foundation of the world. Who chose whom first? God had in mind and decided that Wei in July 12, 1994 would become a Christian. Can you imagine having Wei in your mind for so long? Maybe his wife can, but no one else can. See, God chose us first. And then that is why we are in Christ. That is why we choose him. It is an eternal choice God made from before the world was created. And God chose us, as we'll see later, even while we were sinful, uh, even while we're those who were his enemies. His choice of us was not based on us. He does choose us in order that we might be holy and blameless in verse 4, but not because we are holy and blameless. Even when we're not holy, even we have much blame, yet he chose us to become Christians. Verse 5 underlines the point. He predestined, there is the word actually in black and white, he predestined us, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Adoption. Friends, when do you need to be adopted? Well, you need to be adopted when you're not naturally in this family. Uh, when I was going through early teenage years, uh, I think most teenagers go through this, is you look at your parents and you look at yourself in the mirror and think, nothing alike, huh? And think, ah, oh, maybe I'm adopted. And so you go to your parents and say, hey, you know, you're, really, you're not really my father, my mother, are you? And then this big stress and all the explanations, you know, these are documents. You, you're not adopted, right? Come on. Um, but those who have to be adopted are those who are from not the family and they have to be adopted into the family. Uh, the camp song we just sang, did one of us write that? No. No. Ah, oh, that's such a good song. I thought you must have written it. But just as well, none of you wrote it because there's one word, one phrase there that's actually not quite right. Not quite right. It was in that very, uh, I think, first line that we are those who were fatherless. I want to suggest to you that even before we became Christians, we were not fatherless. Come across to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Not yet, not yet, but Ephesians 2 and verse 1. Before we became Christians, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That is, beforehand, before we became Christians, not only were we sinful, but who were we following? Not only the course of this world where everybody else is going, but... Notice we were following the prince of the power of the air. It's a way of talking about Satan, about the devil. The spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience. We had a father. Our father was disobedience. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8. Coming up on the screen there. He's talking to the Jewish people who thought, hey, God was our father. Abraham is our father. But look what Jesus says to them. No, no, no. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, 
he speaks his native language. For he's a liar and the father of lies. Remember what the serpent did in the Garden of Eden? He told lies. He said, look, you eat that fruit and you will not die. It's a lie. And a lie that brought us death. A lie that murdered us. Friends, we're not fatherless. We have a father. And it's Satan. Now that, that's, that's quite shocking. Most of the people in our world uh, think that somehow God is the father of everybody. You know, he created everybody. So, you know, if you believe in God, then he must be the father of everybody. Imagine saying to our world that, no, no, Satan is your father. That must be really shocking. It's like, it's like Star Wars. Star Wars is coming back, right? Some of you have heard this illustration, but tough. It's Star Wars is coming back. Uh, I have lots of Star Wars illustrations, and I wrote to George Lucas the other day and said, no, keep making them through Disney and so that I can keep on preaching them to another generation. And he said, yes, Joshua, we'll do that. Now, the best episode is Star Wars Episode 5. Now, when my son and, uh, was young, when he was in that little photo, right, was about five years old, uh, he liked Star Wars too. And so we used to uh, make lightsabers, you know, those big swords, and we make them out of long paper rolls, and we paint them green, and we paint them red, and then we have fights. And so we like acting out some of the uh, the scenes. And our, our favourite one is Episode 5. If you know Episode 5, is where um, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker are having a battle. Uh, guess who my son is? Of course, he's the good guy, Luke Skywalker, and of course I'm the bad guy, Darth Vader. And so we get on the couch, because in the movie they're on this sort of big platform, and so we get on the couch and we go, fight, 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 like this, and then I cut off his hand. Not really, you know, but like that, you know. I, I, I cut off his hand, and then he's drops his lightsaber, and he's hanging on to the edge of the couch, you see, like in the movie. And then he shouts out to me, and says, uh, and it's, you know, uh, actually, I say to him, Luke, come over to the dark side. Together we can rule the galaxy. He goes, no, you killed my father. I am your father. <laughs> and then he goes, ah, and he drops down on the ground like it has, happens in the movie. Now, friends, that scene was a shock to the audience. In fact, it was a shock to the whole cast when it was first made. Apparently George Lucas had, had false scripts so that no one knew that Darth Vader was actually saying, "You, I am your father. Uh, they thought Darth Vader was saying, no, Obi-Wan Kenobi killed your father, not me, and things like that. And Mark Hamill, who played Luke Skywalker, was only told 10 minutes before the actual shooting, look, Darth Vader's actually going to say, I am your father, so that he, he can act out how shocked he was. The whole world was shocked. Unless, of course, you're Chinese and these kind of things happen in Chinese videos all the time anyway. <laughs> but friends, it is an absolute shock that the father of our hero is the evil Lord Vader. Friends, it's even more of a shock that the father of our world is the evil Lord Satan. He is our father. We are not fatherless. It would be okay if we were fatherless, but we have an evil father. We followed him. We followed his lies. Even though people may not believe in Satan, they still do what Satan wants them to do as they live for themselves. And so we are people who need adoption into God's family. We're people who are not deserving to be adopted. You know, most people, when they adopt children, they make sure the children are healthy, you know, genetic tests even. They make sure the children are acute. I had some friends, uh, some theological college lecturers uh, in America who, who adopted children, but they deliberately adopted children uh, who had very bad backgrounds who in some senses were emotionally scarred for life. And yet they were the ones who were needy, and they were the ones that this lecturer adopted. That is very, very generous, isn't it? Very loving, very God. God adopted 
us who are sinful had followed Satan. That is part of the blessing that we can be in his family. God has chosen us before the beginning of the world, predestined us, he has adopted us. Thirdly, the blessing of redemption revealed. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages, where's the redemption word? Ah, no, verse, verse 7, 6. In him we have redemption, verse 7. It is 7. It's not ah, I'm in chapter 2. Ah, ah, ah. Okay, verse 7. I had verse 7 in my notes, yeah. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Redemption through Jesus' blood. He's the next great blessing we have. Three things you've got to always think about when you think about redemption, this word. Redemption means you were in bondage, some kind of prison, some kind of slavery. Secondly, there's a payment of a price, and thirdly, you can go free. Those three elements are always in the idea of redemption. It's like the idea of, a, of ransom. Do you understand ransom? To say in the next minute someone rushes in here with, with machine guns and holds us all captive and, and takes off our, our fearless leader away and takes him away. And then ten minutes later we get a phone call. Unless you give us, you know, uh, so much money, we're going to do something bad to him. If you want him back alive, you have to give us how much? How much do you think? How much is way worth? $1,000. 1000 ringgit, okay? 1000 ringgit. Okay, so he's in captivity. We have to come up with that 1000 ringgit, that payment... Once we pay that, then he is set free. We are people who are enslaved, surprise, surprise, to Satan, who's our Lord, our Prince, our Master. A debt has to be paid. The Bible doesn't quite say who the debt is paid to, but a debt is paid in terms of Jesus' death on the cross. That is the payment price. He's like the, the animal that was sacrificed in the Old Testament. He's like the, um, the payment that turns away God's anger. He's the payment that gives us forgiveness of our trespasses in verse 7. And then we are set free, uh, set free from Satan, set free from his kingdom, set free now to serve God as his children. This redemption has been revealed. And so, in verse 8, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. This redemption through his blood has been lavished on us. Verse 8, verse 9, has been made known to us. The word mystery is like uh, the idea of a secret. Uh, the games that way got us to play is all about secrets, is that your little envelopes? You don't know what's inside them, right? It's all hidden. There's, 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 and even though I think when you open them, it's going to be like a little clue and it's a riddle and you can't really work out what it is. Well, that's what the Old Testament was like. It was a, it's a mystery. It was a secret. It, it, it gave certain clues of what God would do in the future in the New Testament time but you wouldn't really understand what was happening until Jesus came. But when Jesus came, the mystery is revealed. The, the mystery is, is no longer hidden. The secret is out. Jesus has come to actually show us that by his death on the cross, we can be freed from Satan and we can be those who can be in his family. More of that mystery uh, tomorrow morning. But this passage ends off with a fourth blessing. That is the blessing of inheritance. You see it in verse 11 to 14. 
In him we have obtained an inheritance. Now I think by the time you get to verse 11, Paul is trying to make a distinction now between the Jewish people, uh, the Jewish Christians in the first century, and us who are not Jewish, uh, the Gentiles, if you like. How do I know that? Because verse 11, in him we have, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, there's that word again, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who's the we? We who were first to hope in Christ. Who are those who first to hope in Christ? It's, the, it's God's people in the Old Testament. It's the Jewish people. And now in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, it's the Jewish people who've become Christians. It's the first century Jewish Christians. They were the first to have the hope, have, have the, uh, the, uh, the great promise of the Messiah, of the Christ, who would come and save them. They have obtained an inheritance. Look at verse 13. In him you also, that is you who are Chinese, you who are Australian, you who are from Scotland, you, you who are not Jewish, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of, and again, the second time, the word inheritance, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. As we now share, we as Gentiles, as non-Jewish Christians, we now share in the inheritance that God had promised them. Remember the Old Testament? God promised the Jewish people the great promised land where there's milk and honey, it's a great land and lots of produce. And that for them was, was, was heaven. For us, it's not that physical land, but rather real heaven, heaven itself, that inheritance. Uh, so you think of the end of um, Revelation, where in heaven there's no more crying, no more pain, no more tears, where in heaven God will be there, where in heaven we enjoy all the blessings with God. But the inheritance here is not so much what we will get, but rather what we are. Look at the footnote in verse 14. If you have the Bible with footnotes, it could also read, the Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until God redeems his possession. That is... The inheritance is not so much all these riches that I will get, but rather I am the inheritance that God will get. I am the inheritance that belongs to God. And that makes sense in terms of the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, the seal there is not like the animal, you know, not, not, not that kind of seal. But it's the seal, like um, you know, sometimes you get a little Chinese stamp. You know, some of you have got this engraved stamp, and you stamp it, and you put it on all your books, right? It means that book belongs to you. Well, in the first century, uh, they brand marked it animals as well as slaves uh, to show that this animal belongs to the owner. We have the great privilege that the Holy Spirit has come in our heart as that brand mark, as that seal, saying that we belong to God. Uh, you've all watched the Toy Story, and uh, the great uh, Woody, was it? Woody, the, the character? He was um, Andy's favorite toy. And how do we know that? Because on the bottom of Andy's, no, the bottom of Woody's foot is the name Andy, right? etched into that puppet. Well, the Holy Spirit has been etched into our lives and given to us to guarantee that we belong to him and therefore that we will be those who will end up in heaven with him. There is the great blessing that we can have. And so here's a list of the blessings 
of being chosen to become Christians, adopted as his children, the redemption that's revealed, the inheritance that we ourselves will be. But notice it's all predestined. It's all pre-planned. You see it in verse 5. He predestined us for adoptions as sons. That's a blessing adopted. But he predestined, God predestined us for that blessing. You see in verse 7 to 10, the blessing of our redemption being revealed. But look at verse 7 and 10. In him we have this redemption. But verse 7, it's according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. He may know in this mystery of his will, but notice verse 9b, it's according to his purpose. So he's the one who's purposed it, who's pre-planned it. Verse 10, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Verse 11, this inheritance that we'll get, notice, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works out everything according to the counsel of his own. It's all God pre-planned all these blessings that we will get. There's, I think, verse 4 starts off with the, uh, the blessing of predestination first and foremost because all of it is predestined by God. And that's why at the end of this passage, in the end of verse 14, it's all to the praise of God's glory. God is the one who is doing it, who had planned beforehand that he would do it. So let's think about this predestination and and step back and, and, and think through it a bit. Point three, predestination versus free will. Often this is the issue that comes up as we discuss predestination. What about free will? Don't we have free will? You know, are you saying that God has predestined stuff and I can't do anything about it, that I don't have free will? A few very important points. Firstly, we must not dilute God's sovereignty. Sovereignty meaning God is sovereign. God rules. God is king. His will is king. Many people uh, say, well, nah. What about this? What about this? What if God chooses everybody in the world? God chooses everybody, but he leaves it up to us and our free will to either accept or reject his choice. I don't know if you've ever heard that alternative. There's a few problems. The big problem is it's not what the text says. Here in Ephesians chapter 1, and you'll find elsewhere in Romans 8, etc., and 1 Peter 1, here God chooses those who are Christians. He doesn't choose everybody. Paul is writing to the Christian church, and he says to them, God has chosen you. And more than that, uh, those who are chosen have the Holy Spirit and it's a guarantee, it's a, you know, you will definitely make it to heaven and you'll belong to Christ in the end. Well, if God chooses everyone, then it means everyone goes to heaven and no one is in hell. But obviously, as you look at the rest of the Bible, that is not true. I would love that to be true. Having got, as I said, my, my wife's um, mother, who is not yet a believer, it would be lovely to think that our friends and family will all go to heaven. But that is not what the Bible says. God does not choose everyone. And if it is that God chooses everyone and then we get to either accept or reject by our free will, accept or reject God's choice, then stop and think. Who really has the ultimate choice? It's us, isn't it? God chooses everyone, but I can 
choose to reject him. Well, then I hold all the trump cards. It's my will that ultimately is the, is the, is the key decision. But that is not what the text says. It's God who chooses us, not only before we choose him, not only before in time, but all this about according to his plan, according to his will, it means that God chooses us as the first cause. It's because he chooses us, that is why we choose him. His will is king. His will is the key. His will is sovereign over my will. Let me show you uh, from a slightly different angle. Now, sometimes people say, "Ah, oh, predestination—that's just God knowing beforehand, you know, foreknowledge. God knew beforehand. Now you can look into the future, can't he? Because he's God." And he looks in the future from eternity and he looks all the way down in 1994, July 12th. Oh, there's way. He's wearing his Arsenal shirt. And this, this day he's heard about the gospel. Oh, I wonder if he's going to become a Christian today. I wonder. And so God waits and waits until, yes, no, yes, no. Yes! Way's decided to become a Christian. And then God gets out the book of life. Oh, let me uh, write his name down in the book of life. W-E-I, no, that's spelled wrong, W-A-I, you know? You see, if God is just looking ahead into the future, it is still way who has the final decision. And God at that point, his hands are tied. He cannot do anything about it. But this passage says that God is the one who chooses beforehand. Not only beforehand in time, but beforehand as the first cause. Well, you say to me, what, what about free will then? Do we have free will or not? Are we just robots? Point 3b then, responsibility. I want to say that we do have responsibility. We have a will, but is not it is not a free will. What do you mean, what do we mean by free will? Free in what sense? In the passage, we see that we are those who needed redemption from slavery. The redemption idea is there in verse 7. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, we saw that we are those who are dead in our trespasses and sins, we are those who followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Uh, we are those, verse 4, who needed adoption, who Jesus said we had Satan as our father. Are we free before we became Christians? No. We have a will, we make real choices, but... It wasn't a free will, it's an enslaved will. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve turned against God, humanity has been under that slavery to Satan. We are those who were given our natural choice, left up to us. What will we do? We'll always choose to go against God. We're like one of those uh, bowling balls, no, not, not the tin pin bowling balls, one of those lawn bowl balls. You don't play lawn bowls in Singapore. It's too hot, right? Don't want to be outside. Um, but you, you know, maybe you watched it in, in Australia or watched YouTube it. Right? Lawn bowls. It's a funny game because old people play it. But um, it's a funny game because you, you bowl this ball and you're trying to hit a little white ball on very very well-cut grass. They were even better cut than bowling and then golf greens, a very, very well-cut grass. But you bowl this ball, but you don't bowl it straight at the white ball. You bow it out there. And as it goes, it goes curving all the way in. I always thought there was a weight in the ball, right, that makes it curl in. But I've since found out it's not the weight in the ball. It's actually how the ball is shaped. You hold it one way, it always goes this way. 
Well, our hearts are shaped such that as we grow up, we will naturally go against God. We are under the slavery to Satan and his lies. Whenever I tried to play law and bowl, so I always hold it the wrong way. I bowl it, and it goes, you out the other way. That's what our life is like. We always go away from God. We're enslaved to Satan. We do not have a free will. But we do have a will. How do I know we have a will? Because we are those who are responsible for our actions. If I came up to Wayne now and I punched him in the nose and broke his glasses. Well, Wayne, uh, sorry, but I was predestined to do that. <laughs> Not my fault, really. You can't say that. We are people who are responsible for our actions. We make real choices and we are to take account, to stand as accountable for them. Have a look at verse 13. When we became Christians, we believed in him. It's our belief. We actually decide to trust in Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, remember, chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, we are those who followed the course of this world, followed the prince of the power of the air. We walked that way. We are culpable. We are responsible. A robot is not responsible. Uh, a puppet is not responsible. See, the problem is a lot of times when people set this up, uh, they set up a, um, a straw man. They set up a hypothetical, which is not necessarily true. Uh, they set up the idea that, you know, Hey, are you saying God chooses us? Well, are you saying then that God is like the puppeteer and we're just like the puppet? Or God is like the great, you know, controller and we're just the, the robot? See, those, those, those illustrations, those models may say that God is in control, but they say nothing about our responsibility. Because a puppet is not responsible. A computer is not responsible. You can't. You know, you can't blame your computer. I know mean, sometimes you want to kick your computer and things like that, but it's it's not a it's not a person. But we are people who are responsible. What we're dealing with is how a superior will interfaces, acts, relates to a smaller will like ours. The puppeteer and the puppet is not the only way to illustrate this. There's another way. Uh, there is uh, me and my son when he was young. My son when he was young, a little boy, I steered him away from Star Trek to Star Wars. <laughs> Star Trek, oh, Dr. Kirk, you know, that's silly, silly, you know, nothing happens, no action, you know, in the old TV series anyway. And Star Wars, much better, you know, much better. Lightsabers, you know, fancy planes, you can buy Lego off. You know, you get no Legos, Star Trek, do you? Now, so I could steer him to Star Wars. Uh, in Australia, people play cricket. Have you ever seen cricket? They get stand in the hot sun in long white gear for half a day. Uh, I did not want to spend all my Saturdays watching my son play cricket and watching the grass grow very slowly. Right, and so I steered him away to play soccer. Right now, I said, "Oh, cricket's silly, right? They get sunstroke, and you know the ball's too hard. You hurt your fingers. Play soccer, much better." See, I can manipulate, I can influence a young mind to like what I like. Now, if that's the case, if my more superior mind can influence a younger mind, then how much more? Can the infinite God influence, change, effect our mind, our will, and yet in such a way that we still have a will? We have a will, but it's not free. And God is the one 
who frees us from the dominion and the power of Satan, softens our hearts, changes our hearts, so that we will accept him. And therefore, all whom God chooses will become Christians. Now, thirdly, this is all of God's generosity. You see it in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, it is in his love that he predestined us. In verse 6, chapter 1 and verse 6, it is to the praise of his glorious grace, God's grace, God's generosity. You see, if ultimately Wei is the one who chose God, then somehow Wei or us, we can pat ourselves on the back. Hey, at least I'm not like those pagans, you know. They heard the gospel and they rejected God. Well, I heard the gospel and hey, I accept it. I had some contribution to make to at least my decision to become a Christian. No, no, in the end, all those ways of thinking will actually dilute not only God's sovereignty, but it will dilute God's grace. Some people uh, complain about predestination and say, well, that's, that's not very fair, is it? God's not being fair. Why doesn't he choose everyone? How come he chooses one and not the other? That's not fair. Friends, we better think twice before we ask for fairness. Because before we became a Christian, what were we? We were people who were sinful, who lived under Satan. It's like um, if we're all murderers and we've been rightly convicted and we are put in some jail in America in some state that still has capital punishment. And next week we're due to go to you know, the uh, lethal injection. Now Obama's about to retire and there's a thing called presidential pardons. Right? Every president, when they retire, they can actually pardon. So just say Obama came along to this jail that we are all in, and he says, you know, Way, you can go free. Robert, now. Cheryl, you can go free. You know, just go so. You, you, and not you, not you. Now, the rest of us who are left in jail, we want to say, hey, why did you choose him? What about me? That's not fair. But friends, what is the fair thing? What is the fair thing for people who are murderous? It is to get the electric chair. It is fair for us, for our whole world, to be judged by God. That some are chosen, that's not about fairness. That's about what we call mercy. Mercy goes beyond fairness. Mercy is where we do not get the judgment we deserve. It is God's grace. He gives us out of his generous loving heart that we do not deserve. It is not fair. It's better than fair. It's beyond fairness. I remember when I was about 18 or so, after I became Christian at 16, and I started reading the Bible. And about 18, I, I remember one day I worked out, I think it was maybe even reading Ephesians, that not only that Jesus died for me, but the very fact I had decided to follow Jesus was because God had worked in me, that God had enabled me to believe in Jesus. I can remember still standing in my home kitchen and I had tears down my eyes as I realised, why did God choose me? And I knew it wasn't because I was handsome. Well, I am handsome, but it's not because I'm handsome, right? It's not because I am better morally. It's not because I'm good. It's not even because he knew that I would choose him. It's only because... He wanted to. And why did he want to? I don't know. It's totally because of him and his grace. 
Predestination means God is king even over my will. And yet I'm responsible, and yet he is generous. So to wrap it up, point four, Christ-centered history. This camp is meant to be about the church, about Christ-centered community. We will get there, right? The whole of Ephesians is all about the church, but he starts off talking about not Christ-centered community, but Christ-centered history. We are predestined by God's sovereign, generous will from eternity for eternity and an eternity that is centered in history in Christ. Look at verse 9 or 10. These are really the, the key verses in the whole of the book. God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. There's the idea of history, isn't it? What God had purposed beforehand, he's planned, and now he's set forward, and it's about Christ, a plan, verse 10, for the fullness, for the end of time, for the the climax of, of history. And what is that? Verse 10, to unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. That is to put everything under Christ. So that Jesus, he's the one having died and risen again, he would be the king over everything. Over things in this world, in the earth, and also things in heaven, in the heavenly world. Jesus is the centre of history. Good Friday and Easter Sunday is the centre of history. That's what God had planned everything to. And because of those events, that is why we can have the inheritance in the future. History is actually his story. God's story. Everything put under Jesus, under his rule. Hey, to be under Jesus' rule is a great thing. To be under Jesus' rule means we have God as our Father. We are free. We are those who are forgiven of our sins. We are those who have a great inheritance. It's great to be under Jesus. It means we have every spiritual blessing. Come with me back to chapter 1 and verse 3 where we started. Notice it's every spiritual blessing. It's not every physical blessing, but every spiritual blessing. What makes it spiritual? It's that it's about our relationship with God. When you think about predestination, you think about adoption, you think about redemption, you think about God revealing his mystery to us, you think about the inheritance, it's all about how we relate to God. That says it's spiritual. And that's why in verse 3 it's in the heavenly places, in that heavenly reality, in, in in that sphere where we're talking about us and God, we have got everything that is going. We've got all the blessings we are now his children. We are now belonging to him. We, we are forgiven. That is all the blessings that really, really matter. What about our legacy that we started off with, of success, of that Chinese blessing, of having all our family around us and we are rich? That is myopic. That is short-sighted because it's only about this life. Right? You you can have everything in this life, but it's only going to last for that lifetime. It doesn't last into eternity. But more than that, that view of everything is about me is anthropocentric. It means that I am at the centre of everything. That God really is there to bless me. Uh, God really is the one who just enables me to get my agenda done. Right, God, I want to get good marks in the exam. I want to get that good job. I want to get that good husband or wife. I want to get 
God, I prayed to you, I did my quiet time, so give it to me. Right? It's, it's just like burning joysticks and the ancestors giving us blessings, isn't it? Only we changed the label. It's now called Jesus. But when you look at Ephesians, it's about eternity. It's also about Jesus. It's not us at the centre of history, but verse 9 and 10 of chapter 1, Jesus is at the centre of history. It's Christocentric. It's all about him. Now, it's great that we get caught up, as we'll see in the rest of Ephesians. We get caught up with him. We get the blessings in him. Throughout this chapter, again and again, it's almost once or twice in every verse, in him, to him, for him, in Christ, it all happens in Jesus. That is, if you have Jesus, you have all these blessings. If you don't have Jesus, you have none of these blessings. And lastly, it's God who does it. That's why, verse 3, we praise God, we bless God. That's why, at the end of verse 6, end of verse 14, it's to the praise of his glory. In fact, it's to the praise, verse 6, to his glorious grace. It's not pride. It's not what I have done. I've done nothing. It's all what he has done. You know, the trouble with legacies is that it ends ultimately in our death. You know, if we're as good as Lee Kuan Yew, then maybe people remember us for a generation or two. But most of us, nobody remembers. In Sydney, uh, near Bondi Beach, uh, if you ever come to Sydney, uh, walk along from Bondi Beach to uh, Coogee Beach and Along there, that coastal walk, great romantic walk, there is a cemetery. And uh, I took my wife for that walk, a nice romantic walk, and we walked through the cemetery. And you look at all the gravestones, and you know, most of them say, you know, so-and-so, loving husband, you know, devoted father, etc. But there was one gravestone that said, you know, name, and then one word, accountant. Accountant. You know what his family thinks of him, right? That sums up his whole life. Friends, whatever we have that will sum up our life, well, we're still going to just have it as a gravestone above us. It does not last. But in Jesus, we have an inheritance into the future. We all like taking selfies. We are that generation, or you are that generation, that like selfies, isn't it? Because uh, everything sort of revolves around me. Next year at our Focus our Church Camp, we're going to talk about the theme of selfless. And one of my church friends came up with this slide to advertise the camp. It's very clever, really, isn't it? It's someone taking a selfie, but it's really about being selfless. The uh, subtext is living for Jesus in a self-obsessed world. But notice, in the selfie... What is, or what should be in the middle is not us, but it's Jesus. Friends, if we're going to get our church life right, if we're going to think about how we as BTPC can be a Christ-centered community, we've got to first of all understand Christ-centered history. That it's Jesus who's at the centre. And it's only as we relate with him in our whole life, and we, we see our whole life in the bigger framework, uh, the bigger picture of what Jesus has come to do. Only then will have 
any chance of getting our church life right. You understand what God has done in Jesus. His predestination of us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for what you have done in Jesus. Thank you for predestining us in him, choosing us so that we can be your children, that we can be ransomed and free, that we can know of this great plan that was hidden, that we can belong to you as as your inheritance, that we have the guarantee of the Spirit, that we are those who are sure of heaven. Thank you for all these great spiritual blessings. Please, Father, help us to see life, not from the world's way, not from thinking about what we can gain, our success, or what we can even hope you to give us, but rather help us to think about what you are doing in our world, in your world. Help us to be those who understand that Jesus is the centre. And we pray, Father, that he might be our centre so that we can be a Christ-centred community. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. I'm having to hand over to Way, is that right? And he'll uh, tell us what to do in terms of thinking more about this whole topic of predestination.